This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, Acts 13, we're going to start in verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not seek corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what it is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. All right, let's talk about motivation. Motivation is a thing. Can I get a witness? Uh, When you have motivation, it's awesome. When you don't, it's not so awesome. Uh, I had a lot of motivation back in the late uh, summer, early fall to, to like work out. And so five times a week, in the first service I said five times a day. That was wrong. <laughs> Wasn't that motivated. Uh, five times a week I was, I, was, I was working, and it was awesome. And then somewhere along the way uh, into the fall and the winter, my motivation kind of fell off a little bit. And it's hard to get up. And, and I know, I know, I know all the reasons why I should get to the gym and work out. I got it. I know them all. But you're not motivated to do it. And so you just, you need that motivation to get you there. But I think maybe what's worse than no motivation might be bad motivation. Being motivated to do something, but to do it for the wrong reasons. So why in the world am I talking about motivation this morning uh, well, we're now talking about Paul. Paul becomes the focus of the book of Acts from here on out. And Paul is motivated. Like, Paul spends the rest of this book uh, traveling the known world uh, and preaching the gospel and being strongly persecuted for it. Like, strongly persecuted for his stance. But Paul never stops. He never detours. He never quits. He keeps going and keeps sharing the gospel through it all. Something is driving that. Something is powering Paul to keep going, to keep moving, even though he's in prison. There's times when he's in prison. And even in prison, he's still preaching the gospel to the uh, guards that are chained to him. Where did Paul get all that? Last week, I stood up here and I told you, hey, it's time to live on mission, live on mission, live on mission. And what I, what I fear as I preach is that I could really motivate you and have you be motivated by the wrong thing. Being motivated by guilt is the wrong motivation. Can I say it again? Being motivated by guilt is the wrong motivation. Being motivated by duty alone is the wrong motivation. I want to help you be motivated and moved by the right things. So what are they? Well, Paul is going to tell us in his text. Paul preaches a message here, and it is exciting to see what he what comes out of his mouth. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the 
mouth, the heart speaks. And so Paul's preaching, he's talking about things that fire him up. And from that, we can grab four motivations for us. Four motivations for us. And I want you to see with me in the text this morning. Take a look at this one. Number one, write this down. Four motivations that we should cling to this morning. Number one is this. The fulfillment through Christ. The fulfillment through Christ. So Paul's preaching, and what he starts out with doing one is he going to recap the history of Israel. His sermon begins uh, really in verse number 16, where it says, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel, and you, if you're God, listen. And he goes through, and again, he recounts the entire history. He goes all the way through. God did this, and God rose up that guy, and God rose up the judges, and, and he put up with them in the desert, and, and then they had you know 450 years, and all these things. Then he gets to David finally, and he's talking about David, and he's, he's trying, to, trying to show us something, like God was doing something. God was doing something. Well, what was God doing? Well, take a look at verse number 23, and we see uh, what all this was leading to, all the history of Israel. What was it leading to? Look at verse number 23. Of this man, David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised before his coming, it goes into John the Baptist talking about that. So oh, Paul's point was, you know, all that history, it all led to this, to Jesus. It all led to Jesus. And Paul also says this, if you let your eyes fall, it's pretty incredible in verse number 28. So it talks about John the Baptist coming on the scene. And then take a look at verse number 26. We'll, we'll kind of get into 28. But here's verse number 26, which says this. And brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Now watch this. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. Hold on there for a minute. See what he said there? So what happened in the Jewish community, especially in Jerusalem, he's focusing on here, is that on the Sabbath day, you go into a synagogue, kind of like a church that we are right now, and kind of like Angela just did, someone would stand up and they would read the prophets. And what Paul just said was that the promise of Jesus was uttered, and they missed it. That through the prophets, they could have seen a suffering Savior. And you think about the Old Testament, some things probably come to your mind about how it predicted that there would be a Messiah and he would suffer. Paul is saying all of those utterances, I mean, can you imagine the fire in Paul's heart? Man, He's like, I spent my life studying the Old Testament. I spent my life studying this book. And, and now I know it was all leading to Jesus. He was the fulfillment of it all. And he goes on from there. Take a look at this. This is um, uh, verse number 28 again. And they found in, oh, no, actually verse number 27, if you would. Uh, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, check this out, fulfilled them by condemning him. Their ignorance continued to fulfill the gospel, the, the, the uh, prophecies. Verse number 28, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Even his death was predicted. And even though these rulers in Jerusalem were acting in, in evil, that yet they were still fulfilling 
what God's word has promised. Let your mind fall on Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Think about this. This is Psalm 22. For dogs have encompassed me, a company of evildoers encircles me. Look what it says. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Sound familiar? Paul is saying all of that was was Jesus. All of that was Jesus. And, And they missed it. All of that was Jesus, and they missed it. He goes on. He talks about Psalm 2, talks about Psalm 16, talks about Habakkuk 1, all of that being Jesus Christ. We talked to Adam in his um, uh, Redemption University class, talked about the, our hermeneutic, which has four words to describe it, grammatical, historical, literal, and redemptive. The redemptive is, is this very thing. Jesus is all throughout the Scripture. That that fired Paul up. Does it fire you up? So I'm looking around, I'm thinking maybe no. Think about a couple things this morning, would you? Think about how incredible the word of God is. Think about how incredible it is. All of these prophecies, some of them very specific prophecies about Jesus, came true exactly as it said. Do you know Micah says that it was in Bethlehem that Jesus was born? And where was Jesus born? Come on, church, where was he born? What are the chances of that just happening? You just read, they pierced his hands and his feet. It also says his bones wouldn't be broken, and they weren't. Psalm 22 starts out with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have we heard that before? I mean, all of these incredible prophecies from the Old Testament coming true is is miraculous. Okay, think about this way. If you were to do the math and you were to say, okay, let's just say eight prophecies just by chance came true. Eight specific prophecies like that just by chance came true. The mathematical statistic of that is ridiculous. It would be like covering the state of Texas with one inch by one inch tiles. Putting a red dot under one, then walking the entire state, reaching down and picking up that one red dot. It's impossible. It's miraculous. That's the Bible you hold in your hand. You are here probably because you love the Bible. After all, we are Redemption Bible Church. Bible is our middle name. And you are here because you love the Word of God. Be amazed today that this is all about Jesus. In fact, grab your Bible, hold it up for me if you would, please. Even if you have it on your phone or your tablet, just hold your phone up. And just say, this book is amazing. Say it. It is absolutely amazing. You can put it down. Some of you with the ESV study Bible had to have a friend help you hold your Bible up. I, I know, they're, they're huge. But um, but also think about this. Think about God's work. What, what Paul is saying in his sermon is, God's been about this from eternity past. This thing, this thing, this thing is... The gospel to the world. That's the thing God's doing. That's the work God is doing. So yeah, think about God's word. Think about God's work. 
the work he's doing is the very gospel that's going forward. And we get to be a part of it, man. We get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of the greatest work. Listen, you're going to give your life to something. Do you know that? You're going to. You're going to live for something every day. And the vast majority of people on this planet live for their own happiness. The Constitution says that the pursuit of happiness. And people are trying to find what that is, but we get to live for something greater than mere happiness. We get to live for eternal satisfaction for the loving, merciful God to redeem to himself a people, and we get to be a part of that work. It started in the eternity past. We see it even in Genesis. This is Genesis 3.15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the idea here is that, hey, there's coming from the seed of the woman an offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. Who was that? Jesus. And you see it all throughout the Old Testament. And what I'm saying today is it's, it's our joy and our privilege to be a part of that. And Paul is like, he's like, he knows the word. He knows now what God is doing. And he's just motivated to be a part of something greater, something more. Don't you want to be a part of something greater and something more? And the greatest thing we can be a part of is the spreading of the gospel to the world. The fulfillment through Christ is something that should motivate us this morning. Also, would you write this down? The forgiveness in Christ. The forgiveness in Christ. And we're going to check this out now in verse number 38. So, um, pre- predicts the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all in there and shows that, hey, even this resurrection of Jesus was predicted in the Old Testament because, you know, David said he wouldn't see corruption, but David died. If I take a look at verse number 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Now check this out. This is awesome. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. He just stands up, Paul does. He just says, I got good news for you. Forgiveness of sins being proclaimed to you. He just assumes they know they're sinners. This is a quote from John Piper. It's really good. I'll show it to you. It says this. When Paul preached this sermon and came to verse 38, he just said it. And you might think this presumptuous if you didn't know your own heart. He just said, forgiveness is declared in his name, looking at everybody. And no one in the synagogue stood up and said, well, I never sinned. Anybody want to do that right now? I'll offer it to you as well. Do you want to stand up and say that? But you wouldn't, would you? The baby sinned. We know that. That's not not a surprise. Total depravity of man right there. It's awesome. Uh, But no, you're not going to do that because you know better than that. You know you're a sinner. And I don't think it's just Christians that know. I think the world knows. In fact, Romans 1 says that, that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The God is probably convicting people. We know he said He promised the Holy Spirit who would convict the world, it says, of sin and righteousness and judgment. The world is being convicted, but they press it down. 
And they look in a mirror and they say, you're good enough. You got what it takes. You can do this. And self-affirmation is supposed to replace condemnation, but it doesn't really, does it? But then Paul stands up and Paul says, I got good news. Forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus Christ. He's fired up about, hey, why, church, is Paul so fired up about forgiveness of Christ? Because he experienced it himself. Take a look at this. This is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer and persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, look, if God saved Paul, he'll save anybody. They just can't help it. It just breaks into praise. Uh, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And he probably raised his hands in worship at that point. But point being is that, look, he was fired up about the forgiveness that he found in Christ. Church, 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 he was fired up about the forgiveness that he personally experienced in Christ. And I'm wondering, do you feel that way? you walk around amazed that God would save you? Because if you do, then you want anybody, everybody to hear that story. In fact, I'll say it this way. The degree to which you are eager to share forgiveness is a degree to which you live forgiven. The degree to which we are eager to share forgiveness is a degree to which we are living forgiven. Do you live forgiven? It's like the proverbial beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Or, or just think about your social media feed. How often on there is someone sharing something they're super excited about. Food, their breakfast, their cup of coffee with a cute little, you know, foamy thing on the, you know, I've done it, Lots. And so would Jesus, maybe not, I don't know. Anyway, but, you know, sharing whatever it is you're super excited about. And we love to tell restaurants and food. And, man, when you get just, when you receive something incredible, you want to share it. But, but, but maybe, maybe you don't live life forgiven like you should. Maybe the joy of the gospel doesn't permeate your heart every day so you wake up saying, I just can't wait to tell somebody today about the forgiveness they can find in Jesus. And so I want to talk about maybe two key blockers that keep us from living in the joy of forgiveness. Two key blockers. Uh, the first key blocker I want to talk about is the blocker of doubt. Doubt. You mean to tell me that even though I've done, and you fill in your own blank, all I gotta do 
is just ask God to forgive me and he will? (laughs) Come on. I know better than that. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's some trick to this. I've got to earn it. I've had to earn everything in my life. I've got to earn this too. I'm so bad. I know how bad I am. I'm so wretched. Why would God forgive me? Maybe doubt is a thing that is, is, is blocking you to really believe in his goodness. Or, or, or maybe it could be this. I think the second key blocker uh, to enjoying the richness of forgiveness is this. Self-righteousness. Yeah, I've done some things that are bad, but I'm like, I'm not like so-and-so. I mean, I might be bad, but I'm not like my brother-in-law or my boss. Or, hey, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just go to the extreme. I'm not as bad as Hitler <laughs> or Putin. Take your Bible. Go to Luke 18. I want to look at this in the scriptures. We're going to turn to another verse in the Bible. Let's go to Luke 18. Let's hear some excitement as you turn over to Luke 18. You excited to learn from Luke 18? Say amen. Let's do this. Here's Luke 18. And I want you to see this in the text. This is Jesus addressing this very issue of self-righteousness. And in Luke 18, uh, the Bible says this. Luke 18. We're going to start in verse number 9. Luke 18, 9. He also told this parable to some who, check this out, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. What may be a key indication that you have some self-righteousness? Through your Bible study, what what might be an indication to you that you're walking around with a little self-righteousness if you treat others with, okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? All right, well, here it is. Uh, two men went uh, up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven beat his breast saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, come on now, which are you? I'm not like a a tax collector. We'll go back to verse number nine and and check this out again. He also told uh, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Who do you think you're better than? Because there's probably some people you think you're better than. There's probably some people that you would say you're not as bad as. And maybe that person sitting next to you. Paul said, I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner I know. How can a guy like Paul, who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, (laughs) say that he was the worst sinner? Because I mean, really? Really am I the worst sinner? Really am I that bad? Well, um, here's why I think I can stand up here confidently and say 
from my perspective, I'm the worst sinner I know. From my perspective. Because I know how often I sin. (laughs) I don't know what you think throughout the day. I know what I think. I don't know what gets you mad and angry. I know that jerk drivers get me mad and angry all the time. I don't know what causes you to stumble. I know how often I stumble. So I don't, I don't know your sin, but man, I know my sin. Let's cast aside self-righteousness and quit thinking of ourselves better than we ought to think. Now, I want to help dig into that because, okay, how do, you, how do you do that? Like, how do, how do you get beyond doubt? How do you get beyond self-righteousness? Well, let me unpack it for you this way. Uh, I, want, I want to dive a little further into doubt because I think there's something beneath doubt that's really important to see this morning because what doubt really is is self-loathing, self-hatred. And, and here, here's, here's why that's important to point out. The, the reason why you, are, you doubt God is good enough because somehow, some way, you think your sin is just that bad you look at your sin and you say, this is how horrible it is, as if your sin was greater than the death of Jesus on the cross. As if your sin was so bad that the death of the Son of God couldn't care for it. When in reality, you just really wish you were better. You just really wish you weren't this way and you really want to be something better so you hate yourself and yourself and yourself and yourself. And what are you thinking about? You're thinking of... What's the connection between self-righteousness and self-loathing? Self. And there's two sides of the same coin. So the answer to both self-righteousness and self-loathing is quit focusing on yourself. Seriously, if you walk around all day hating yourself and hating how much of a sinner you are and beating yourself all the time, that's just as bad as thinking you're, you're awesome. Because it's still self focus Let's get our eyes off ourselves and let's get our eyes. Where should we put our eyes? Okay, what will Jesus teach us when we just stare at him? You think your sin is that bad? No, no, no. He died for your sin. And his sin was effective. His death, I should say. His death was effective to cover our sin. Well, you think you're, you're awesome? Well, look at a Savior on a cross dying for your sin. Looking to Jesus is the answer to both the key blockers. Self-loathing and self-righteousness. I want you to be motivated. Man, I stood up here last week and said, live on mission, live on mission, live on mission. And you could have walked out there like, oh, i got to live on mission, got to live on mission. Don't try to drive it in your own ability, but let's look to Jesus. Let's think about Jesus, how he is the fulfillment of the New Testament, how there's, there's forgiveness in him. And then write this down as well. There is freedom with Christ. There is freedom with Christ. Because we're marching along. We just read verse 38. I think we should go to verse number 39. All in favor, say aye. Any opposed, y'all can just leave. Let's go to verse number 39. And look at this together. Here's verse number 39. And by him now, uh, everyone who believes is, check this out, freed from everything from which could not be freed by the law of Moses. And I, and I gotta imagine the people in that synagogue that morning went, wait, what? There's freedom someplace? Because the Jewish religion wasn't very free. And and neither is any religion. It's not freeing. And they were bound 
by the law. And they were bound by trying to be good enough and earn. And they were bound by the additional laws the Pharisees would add to them. And they walk, walked around bound to their own ability and their failure all the time. And even their sacrifices weren't quite enough because they were shadows of what was to come. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Well, I say it because Hebrews says it. Here's Hebrews 10. For since the law was but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who drew near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is the reminders of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of goats a bulls and goats to take away sin. You see what he's saying? Every time they went and offered sacrifice, they were reminded, you're sinners, you're sinners, you're sinners, you're sinners. They just never, ever, ever got free. And, and, and look, you only got two choices in terms of like big umbrellas of, of how to live life religiously. One umbrella is you got to earn it. And the only other umbrella that you can live under is Christ has earned it for you. It's only two. And Everybody besides biblical Christianity falls under that first umbrella. You've got to earn it. Talk about it. Let's talk about uh, the Islamic faith, Muslims. Uh, do Muslims uh, got to earn their salvation? <laughs> yeah, you talk about foods you got to eat and times you got to pray and where you got to face when you pray and your posture and all of that is bound up in, in Islam for sure. Buddhism. Is that, is that freeing? No, but Buddhism is, I mean, you've got you to gotta, you gotta meditate and you've got to do all these things to earn self-enlightenment so that next time you can come back to something better. And, and previously I was a, a, a chicken, uh, but now I, I'm a man and maybe one day I'll, I'll be a better, I, I mean, it, it, but it's up to you. It's up to you to find self-enlightenment. This one's getting a little muddy these days, so I want to really be clear here about this. How about Catholicism? Well, aren't they Christians? Okay, y- yes, but if you, if you hold to what the Catholic faith teaches, it teaches that grace was given to the church, and the church dispenses grace out of seven sacraments. So you have to uh, uh, confess your sin. You have to take the Eucharist. Uh, you have to take Mass, you ha- which is the Eucharist. You have to, you have to, uh, holy orders. Uh, you have to get married in the church, and you have to, and you have to, and you have to, and you have to. And I've had long conversations with a Catholic priest friend of mine about, about where salvation is found, and he rejects wholeheartedly faith alone in Christ alone. It's not faith alone, it's faith and, it's faith and. But the Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through church, for by grace you have been saved through faith. faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God and not a result of works, so no one can boast if you're trying to earn your salvation. Now, are there Catholics who really believe in Jesus and not in their works? I'm sure there are. But as a religion, as a, as, a, as a teaching, that's what they teach. And your co-workers and your neighbors and your friends, they're all bound to this. Yeah, but my, my co-worker, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not religious at all. Okay, let's talk about some pseudo-religions. Some religions that may not claim to be religions, but really are religions. How about the pseudo-religion of secular humanism? Secular humanism is a religion. It is a belief system that gives its followers a worldview. Wikipedia says this about secular humanism. Wikipedia, uh, uh, secular humanism posits that human beings, 
It's laughable. Are capable of being ethical and moral without religion or belief in a deity. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Not very good. But do you get it? It's in me. I got to work at it. I got to work at it. I can be moral. I can be moral. And nobody is. Closely related but slightly different is, uh, I think, the religion of our world today, self-worship. And here's the idea behind self-worship. The ultimate good in self-worship is discovering your most authentic self. Find your most authentic you. Who are you? And live out you and you be you. And, and you're trying to find that most authentic version of you. And for some people, it, it's the opposite gender that they are. And so they go through all kinds of mutilation to try to find self-satisfaction. And does it happen? It doesn't. Some people think their most authentic self is like a goat. <laughs> it's true. Google it. It's out there. Or maybe for another job or another spouse or another something else. And I got to find my true self somewhere and, and, and you try that and you're only going to come to the conclusion of it all, which is you're never going to find it because it's not in you. Say, it's not in me. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not in you. All right. Church, where is it? Okay, you have two choices. I have to earn it or I receive it for what Christ has already done. He's done it all. He was completely, perfectly righteous when he walked this earth. And then he died the death of a criminal to pay for our sin. But it didn't defeat him. He rose again. And then we receive that just by faith say, that's what I believe. God is holy. I am not. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I will believe. And you live in that and you find that, man, there is freedom in that. I'm free from the law. I'm free from my sin. Man, I could almost dance this morning singing those worship songs. And I'm going to do it one day. I am. I'm going to do it. Okay, well, you and me can get up here. We'll just, just go. You don't want to see that. You're, it would wreck your worship forever if you saw that. Point is, though, is, man, I have felt this so deeply in my life. There's freedom in Jesus. And my hope. It's not that Jamie's going to someday nail it. Please. Jesus has done it for me. Church, listen. The degree to which you live in freedom is the degree to which you believe the gospel. The degree to which you live in freedom is the degree to which you believe the gospel deeply in your heart. And uh, why be fired up to live on mission? Why? What should motivate us? Uh, There's freedom in Christ. For you first, and just feel that. And then for the world. But there's one more reason. I got about a minute to share it. Unless you guys are okay to say a few minutes afterwards. Is that all right? Okay, good. All right, thanks. <laughs> Some of you are like, don't say sure. <laughs> the roast is going to overcook. All right, uh, look at number, this is it. Uh, look at uh, verse number 40. Verse number 40. Because all of a sudden now you get a warning by Paul. There's a failure to avoid, a failure without Christ. Fulfillment through Christ, forgiveness in Christ, freedom with Christ, a failure without Christ. And here's where it comes in, verse number 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Beware, beware. Church, Redemption Bible Church, Fort Wayne, Indiana, beware. Okay? 
your scoffing could result in some perishing. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your day. Here's the phrase, a work that you will not believe, even if it were told to you. Circle the word believe. It's an important one. Because you can miss it. Remember they missed it? Remember this? Go back to verse 27. They missed it here. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. I mean, they missed it. I don't want to miss it. How do we miss it? How do we miss it? And when I mean it, I don't necessarily only mean your own personal salvation, though that may be true of some this morning. Are you saved, really? But also, if you are, are you living in it every day, or are you going to miss living in it every day? Well, how would I do that? Well, um, it has to do with belief, and I think it, it helps it to correlate it to this text. This is uh, Luke 24, and this is very similar happening here. So what's happening in Luke 24 is Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's walking along uh, the road uh, to, to Emmaus. And he finds these, these guys walking, and, and, and they're despondent, they're discouraged. And Jesus is like, hey, why are you so downcast? And they say in the text, like, are you the only one who's not aware of what's happening in Jerusalem? And you're like, that was kind of rude way to talk about Jesus, but just hold on, because he's going to get them. Because then, then you have this coming up in verse 25, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones. Now watch this next phrase, very important. And slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? And he goes on to say, this was all predicted beginning in Moses through the prophets. I am the prediction of it all. But you can be slow of heart to believe it. How in the world could the prophets be read publicly every Sabbath? And they hear and they miss it. How? Because they were slow of heart to believe. Something was holding their faith back. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss believing it initially for my salvation. I don't want to miss living in it every day. What's going to keep me from that? Well, if my heart is slow to believe it. What would make your heart slow to believe this morning. Holy Spirit, come and lay it on our hearts right now for you specifically. What would keep you from really believing? Well, I don't want to believe in Jesus. Everyone says how stupid it is. I don't want to be the stupid one that believes in Jesus. What's pride could make you slow to believe? What if people discover how bad I really am and then, like, that I didn't work it off. <laughs> what people see that, like, I'm, I'm really, really bad, but I just ran to Jesus as, like, a crutch. Okay, so maybe affirmation would keep you from believing. Man, if I really believe this, what's it going to mean for my life? Am I going to have to give up Netflix? I mean, a lot of it, yes, but not all of it. <clears throat> I'll give you a list later. I don't have a list. I don't know. I don't know what would keep you 
from doing it. But there could be things that are holding you back from really believing. And I want to say to you this morning, don't fail to live in the joy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ every day. Your heart is not going to want to go there. And you're going to have to not follow your heart, but lead your heart. Can I say it again? Don't follow your heart, church. Say it with me, but lead your heart and lead it back to the gospel. Because you need to know it and the world needs to know it. And they will never believe unless someone tells them. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on him and whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear about someone preaching? And are we going to preach it? Because he fulfilled it and he forgives and there's freedom in him. And I don't want to fail to live in that. Or are we going to let that heart draw us back into ourselves again and to not live fully in it? I pray that God will do that work in your heart. So, Father, we ask you to do it. It's you who have to do it. It's in your hands. I thank you for your word. I thank you how clear your word can be to just pull into our lives and what it teaches us. And, Father, I thank you that the power is in your word and not in the preacher. Praise God for that. The power is in your word. Take it now into the lives of our people. And, Lord, let us be motivated to live on this mission, to be a people who, yeah, we got jobs and we got families, but the thing that is our thing, the thing that's our thing is making the gospel known to the world. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.